Back to the Gen X Playback Show, your favorite show about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We are the Brothers High. I am Scott. And I'm Sean. And we are starting out with part two of our episode on our favorite U.S. songs from bands and singers from Australia. So Sean got us off to a great start in part one. Um, went down actually many, many artists that you're probably going to hear again here in part two. But what we want to try and do is kind of change it up and at least give you a little bit of variety in terms of the music because I don't think it's fair necessarily, Sean, to just kind of um, push an artist into a corner with just one song. Would you agree? I would agree. So I I like variety. Especially when you have, you know, bands that have played and performed for 40-plus years. It's not really fair. That's probably our biggest complaint is, you know, we need to, I think we need to reach into the hat and maybe dig down a little deeper and, and and pull that piece of paper out that maybe has a song on that you haven't heard in a while. Right. So I agree. I think you were able to do that um, very quite well in part one. So what I tried to do here with, with my list was I wanted to go in a little bit of a chronological order. And, and I'm really glad that you played uh, the examples of like Olivia Newton-John from the early 70s. It's a little early for me to remember, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So I do have a Livy Newton John. It's just going to be something that's going to come a little bit later. Okay. All right. So we're gonna I'm gonna kick things off with probably you know my earliest memories of what popular music was at the time. We're talking towards the late seventies, and there was no band bigger in the world at the time than the Bee Gees. So and there was no bigger movie than Saturday Night Fever. You picked a great song. You should be dancing. That was your version. This is mine off it, and surprisingly, this is the one that I remember the most from that movie. So it's not the screaming falsetto BGs that they kind of came to become. To me, this is just a very simple love song written by Barry Gibb. And for me, it just shows that his skill as a songwriter. You know, it's a very simple love song, but very to the point. And it's just a very nice, sweet ballad. Mm-hmm. And I think what you're listening to is, is the Bee Gees kind of restrained. Right. Uh, you know, and... For me, this outside of the kind of the Hammond or organ playing played in the background, this is a very timeless song. And 
uh, you know, a song that to me still holds up very well over time. Oh, I would agree. It's probably for what the reason you're saying is that it doesn't have the, the high screaming falsetto mm-hmm. in it. And I think it's unfortunate for them that they embraced it way too much, that it became their signature sound. It made them famous. It made them wealthy. But it also stuck them in a box. It did. And a lot of these songs from the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack don't have as much of the screaming in it as uh, what was what was the album that came out after it, it was um, oh I remember it's, it has some tragedy on yes. it yeah yeah I mean that was them at their screaming best yeah or worse depending on how you want to look worse. at it <laughs> yeah. but I, a lot of these songs for for the, this movie were written really as they were kind of climbing back up again mm-hmm. these were the songs that made them number one group in the world but at this point when they when they're written and that's why I think these are a little bit more they've kind of fallen in line to the earlier BG stuff that they had where they're known for ballads in the early 70s right right it, it is a nice timeless song and you know Scott has already stated many times on this podcast that he loves the ballad I do and yeah. yes the sappier the better I'm a poetic soul he we're gonna, is we're gonna do an episode on our 80s R&B at some point because I loved 80s R&B yeah 1977 Saturday Night Fever soundtrack, the Bee Gees' How Deep Is Your Love, went to number one on the charts. Same time frame, same family. Also in 1977, this song also goes to number one. And you can argue and say this guy was just as big as his brothers at one point, and this is Andy Gibb. Mm Mm-hmm. so long You and me been finding each other for so long And the feeling that I feel for you is more than stronger Take it from me If you give a little more than you're asking for Your love will turn the key Darling mine I would wait forever for those lips of wine Build my world Darling, this love will shine, girl Watch it and see If you give a little more Then you're asking for you I gotta give a plus seven there Go, he's a kid Still somewhat restrained mm-hmm. Yeah You know, I've, I've told the story to you many times And that was When Right around this time You were admitted to the hospital we went to go visit you in the hospital you got sick and it was in the uh, pediatrics wing of st joe's hospital doesn't exist anymore here in lancaster and i remember being so jealous walking into your room because i was in the hospital it had posters yeah on the wall yeah. and one of them it's was andy an gibb. andy gibb yeah. poster i remember that and this is off of andy's basically his debut album flowing rivers out in 1977 and no wonder it's no wonder people got tired of the Bee Gees because between the Bee Gees and Andy Gibb there for probably two or three years, there were probably six or seven songs that were played on the radio all the time. Well, usually the the way the traditional cycle was, you would record an album, you would go and tour, and then you would then go back and record another album. And it used to, it used to take about two years, mm-hmm. so you would kind of go away for a little bit and then come out with fresh material. 
Well, here, the Gibbs didn't give us a chance to ever get sick no, of No, they didn't. I mean, it's like, okay, the Bee Gees are back in the studio. Here's Andy. And they just, it was nonstop. Yeah, and Barry, Barry Gibb, who wrote majority of the songs, was probably one of the most prolific songwriters of, of music, of you know, popular music history. The, just the number of songs that, not only, that he has written for himself and for the Bee Gees and for his brother Andy, but he also wrote songs for Barbara Streisand, mm-hmm. Dionne Warwick, Dolly Parton, Kenny Rogers. I mean, it's just the list goes on and on. It's, it, I, I imagine just to watch him go about his daily routine and probably how much writing he does in a day's time is, is I can only imagine, uh, you know, somebody as prolific as, as somebody like Barry Gibb. Yeah, I mean, you'll get that every so often. I mean, obviously, the early days of rock it was Paul McCartney. Mm-hmm. He he was the guy that just churned the work out, and then you know you're you're right that that Barry was somebody that that did it. Um, um, you know, we talk about Phil uh, Phil Collins mm-hmm. constantly putting stuff out there. You know, right. it's it's oh, Lionel Richie. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, are you Lionel Richie? Yeah, that, that's what that's where I was trying to come up with the reference. Yeah. So Lionel Richie was somebody that just couldn't stop writing. Yeah, and putting material. It's it's something that's amazing when you see somebody kind of with that gift, and in a way, it usually comes back to bite them at some point because they write so much that people are kind of tired of them. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so that was Andy Gibb, I Just Want to Be Your Everything, from 1977's Flowing Rivers album. That song did go to number one mm-hmm. on the U.S. Billboard chart. The next artist, Sean already played, um, and I think this we're going to show the range of this particular artist because the first time we heard her in part one, she was singing a little bit of country. Now we're going to hear a very, very different version Xanadu, Xanadu, with ELO. So, of course, this is Olivia Newton-John, and this mm-hmm. is Xanadu, done with the Electric Light Orchestra and Jeff Lynne. Jeff Lynne has a sound, doesn't he? He sure does. Yeah. Uh, I think the quintessential ELO song is off of the same soundtrack. And that Remember the song, I'm Alive? Mm-hmm. Remember that? Yeah. I I think that is, uh, that is ELO to the core. Okay. Uh, but this was, you know, where what Sean played was country Olivia Newton-John, this is her at her roller skating, feathered hair, a blonde best. And but I think much like the first song that we played in part one, she has such a pretty voice. Yeah. And it's a it's a different sounding song. Uh, you know, unfortunately the movie didn't do it as well as the soundtrack. It was about roller skating, wasn't it? It sure was. Yeah. I yeah. didn't I never saw it. I actually watched it all the way through one time. What'd you think? I thought it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so we shouldn't do a show Let, dedicated to Xanadu? Let's just say it is an acquired taste. Okay. Now it has developed somewhat of a cult following over the years. But yes, uh, rival spirits on roller skates. Okay. Okay? Yeah. Kind of sums up the time period. Yeah. Maybe. All right. 
Um, of course, you know, Olivia Newton-John had more success to come after this. And the Xanadu soundtrack was a very successful album for her. And two years later, she comes out with the song Let's Get Physical, mm-hmm. which ends up you know, setting all kinds of records for the Billboard 100 and being uh, number one for consecutive weeks. So, uh, you know, she, she was a big deal in the, in the, all the way through the mid-70s to the mid-80s. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, and we touched on it in the part one of this episode that, you know, she was so likable. And I think that's, you know, that was kind of the package that they were going for. And the fact that it doesn't appear that she was pretending in her mm-hmm. role. You know, we talked about... Um, um, in Pee Wee's Big Adventure, when the it, 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 what was the name of the of the kid uh, that ended up uh, being in Wonder Years? That uh, Kevin, yeah, the, uh, Jason Harvey, yeah. yeah, but but he was playing Kevin yeah. in the movie yeah. where, where he was like he'd like be like a little jerk, and then the moment the cameras turned on, then he was super nice uh-huh. and super sweet, but yeah. not Olivia Newton-John. Nope, she was always nice. Yeah, always nice. Always nice, Sandy. Yep. All right. So that was Xanadu uh, from the Xanadu soundtrack in 1980. That only topped out at number eight on the chart. That actually wasn't even the most successful song from that album. What was? Magic. Magic ended sure. up going number oh, one. I can believe and that. And that, that was a very yeah. popular song as well. All right, so my fourth artist coming up. Sean already talked about them. Uh, we've talked about them in previous episodes. This particular song that I'm going to play was not only on one album that they released, it was on a second album that they released. So we go back to... The very famous Back in Black movie or movie album from 1980. It was also released on the soundtrack that we talked about, the Stephen King movie, the Maximum Maximum Overdrive Overdrive, on the Who Made Who album from 1986. And of course, this is You Shook Me All Night Long. I don't know if there's ever been a hard rock song that was set in a radio format. I don't know if there's ever been a better hard rock song ever done. This is like the perfect rock song that you can fit in like three and a half minutes. So the Brian Johnson tells a story about when, you know, he's kind of selected to replace Bon Scott. He doesn't know that he's officially in the band. He thinks he's, you know, just kind of going to sit. He's sick. So... He goes down to the Bahamas to record the Back in Black album. And he goes down there, not for very long, just for a couple weeks. And he says, he, he basically threw a couple t-shirts and some underwear in a brown paper bag. <laughs> and he got on the plane and he went down there. He, he didn't think this was going to last. And when it's over, he, you know, he's, at the end he was like recording. He says, okay, boys, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. And he thinks he's done. Yeah. But so he said that. The, the young brothers present him with a song that he's to write lyrics to. And he, he thinks this is great. And then he writes it, and then they record it, and he hears it. And he goes, I said to him, 
that's the greatest rock and roll song I've ever heard in my life. Uh, you know, it, it's one of those songs, and it's hard to imagine that its highest charting position on the Billboard 100 was number 35. I can believe that, just because it, it, you know, it's a song that never went away. It, right. It wasn't necessarily something you heard all the time. You heard it more on rock radio. You did, uh, but it kind of it had that second it had that second coming with the MTV crowd when it was re released in nineteen eighty six, and, and that was video. when it had the accompanying video to right, it. Right, right. So originally in nineteen eighty, there wasn't there was no MTV. No, right, exactly. Yeah. But you know, just to kind of show you how this this song kind of lives on, where I mean, it's still played a lot today. But I remember you and I were doing Millersville basketball games, Millersville University. Scott and I used to be the voices of Millersville basketball. The Millersville Marauders. That's right. And they, we were, it, it was like halftime or, or, or it's like between periods, there was a timeout or something where they played this song at, in the gym. And I remember the, the kids, and this is the early 2000s, yeah. jumping up and down when this song got played. And it, this is 20 years ago. And I remember thinking at the time, wow, they like this old song. This song, I think, still gets requested at weddings to this day. Yeah. I, I probably, this is one, of, I wouldn't say it's the song that I played most over the years at weddings, but it ranked right up there. So when we were doing those games, those kids had just been born. I mean, they literally were being born in the early 80s, and here they were in the early 2000s mm-hmm. thinking this is a, a great song. In fact, it got the best reaction from any other song that was played that night. That's true. Yeah. Uh, Kellis, you know, sorry, you know, the artist Kellis, that was the uh, milkshake song. Oh, okay. Remember they played that too? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I don't think that was played too long there at the school. Um, but yeah, that was ACDC, You Shook Me All Night Long from Back in Black in 1980. Next, the artist, my number five. Again, remember, I'm going kind of chronologically here, so... Mm-hmm. I went from 1980, and now we're kind of going into 1981. Just the start of MTV. Now, this particular artist, which Sean has already played, at this point is already a big deal. And I think this is one of those songs that, and I always like to see it, you know, when when a successful debut album comes out, you have the first song, all right? The The second song that comes out kind of, you know, establishes whether or not they're going to have a huge album and then if they have a third hit song then they're really you really know you got you're on to something special three hits off of one album usually meant that album is you're making money you're going to make bank off of this and i think this was the song off of this album where rick springfield started to make started to make bank And this was my favorite song that he did live. Oh, okay. Be 
And this is his working class dog debut album. Well, not really his debut, but this was the album everybody now knew Rick Springfield as a as a musical artist. Um, but yeah, this was this is the third song that was the third single that was released off the album. And at this point, Rick Springfield wasn't going away. So what? What I like about Rick's sound, and I think it doesn't get mentioned enough, is kind of the background vocals, mm-hmm. where it's very distinct sound. And so he, for every album, he used this session guy named Tom Kelly, who is very famous for writing songs. He wrote like like a virgin from Madonna. Mm-hmm. So you know, has that very high pitched you know sound that just blends perfectly. And then later on, I don't think he's on this song, but he, he may be. But then Richard Page. Of course, oh, the lead Mr. singer, Mister Mister, yeah. was that was part of the the sound. It was those three voices that kind of made that that distinct Rick Springfield sound throughout the eighties. Okay, yeah, and this this album, like I said, he he had other albums that were nominated for Grammys, but this particular album, Working Class Dog, to me is is a masterpiece. I just think it is such a fun rock and pop rock album. Uh, it's one of the best, I think, particularly not only for the early '80s but for the entire decade. I, I, you know, went back and listened to this entire album again. It's good from top to bottom. It really is a good listen. So, uh, "Love Is All Right Tonight," "Working Class Dog," from Rick Springfield. That only the highest chart on that was uh, number twenty on the okay. Billboard 100, which yeah. obviously had more success with with Jesse's Girl mm-hmm. and "I've Done Everything for You." But this was still my favorite song off of that particular album. Number six on my list, Sean, already played. And I had briefly mentioned that this band, although they were huge in Australia and in the U.S. in the late 70s and early 80s, they they did end up switching over, albeit briefly, with lead singers. Uh, I mentioned the name Glenn Shorrock, who was the lead singer for the Little River Band. Uh, They went with a guy who was actually not Australian with this particular song, but I didn't know it at the time. I just remember them performing this on solid gold as they're standing up on stage lip syncing to it mm-hmm. but this is Wayne Nelson singing his version of the Night Owls from the US of A yes sir yeah he was their bass player yeah there's a bar right across the street he's got a need he just can't beat out on the floor he shuffles his feet away he'll get the girl so fine He's gonna win her Every time He knows he will He's dressed to kill He's a night owl Move on There's a heart of a night owl calling You still hear that harmony Right, right I, And that's what I think they were known for they, they had like three, four distinct voices Kind of blending together It's nice Yeah But this song was released in 1981, and so I would have been about 10 years old. I really like this song, in part because I remember watching it on Solid Gold. Mm-hmm. Sure. So that is the Little River Band. This song went to number six on the U.S. Billboard 100, and one of my favorites from that time period, 1981. The next band, again, ends up winning in 1982, 1983. They were not only the biggest band from Australia, but they were arguably the biggest band in the U.S. or, for that matter, the world at that particular time. They 
ended up winning the Grammy for Best New Artist. And this is Men at Work. The album was Business as Usual. And this was a song that I really liked. This was one that uh, I remember being from that live concert that I taped off the radio. was their last song that was released off the business as usual album that was be good johnny it was it didn't chart as well but i to me this is kind of <clears throat> men at work at their best i almost picked this song did you yeah i and I, I i don't know i i went back and forth with it i'm kind of glad i didn't sing as as you picked it and and part of it i didn't pick was because it was not a big hit for them right um but i think this really shows the band at what it was good at and Colin Hay, mm-hmm. who is the lead singer of Men at Work, I read somewhere that uh, a critic, and they weren't criticizing him, they said that Colin Hay, if you listen to his actual singing voice, is right up there in soulfulness as Sting. Okay. And if you if you do listen to, especially off the Cargo album, the Cargo album is a little more serious than what right. Business as Usual was. Yeah, Business as Usual is very tongue-in-cheek. It is. And I think, uh, but Colin Hay really does have a great range as a vocal performer. And this band could do a lot of things. Um, they, the one particular, uh, I forget his name, but he was the guy, he could play the saxophone, mm-hmm. he played the flute, he could play percussion. He was a multi-instrumentalist. And they, this, this band had a lot of diversity in, in terms of playing style, and they could, they could do a lot of different types of songs. Yeah, no, good band. And that I can't hear that song and not think of my buddy back in the day greg lap because that was his favorite song i remember that uh, i remember him singing it on the bus and i remember them playing this at the roller skating rink yeah uh, i remember roller skating to that particular song in 1982 so that was be good johnny men at work from the album business as usual this is another this was a band that uh and i had mentioned that when they won an award i was angry and this is air supply mm-hmm. uh, however when this song comes out in 1983, you know, I I'm, make no bones about my being a sap for, for slow songs, but this was a song that I liked, and I came to find out it ties to some songwriting that I liked from before, and that's Jim Steinman. Well, yeah, it sounds like Jim Steinman. And this is, a, uh, this is Air Supply, Making Love Out of Nothing at All. This, is what, this was made for their Greatest Hits album in 1983. And for me, it's like, uh, like I know, I know this sound. I know this sound. And then I realized, I oh, yeah, this is the guy that wrote for Meat Loaf, right. for Bonnie Tyler. Right. It, uh, this is Jim Steinman's song. Well, to me, it's not sappy sweet right. because it, it's the way Jim Steinman would write. It's building. 
it's it's very dramatic and it's very theatrical. It's laying the foundation, and as we get to where every stadium rocks, as the lyric says, we're going to build to that. Yeah. And I know just where to touch you, and I know just what to prove. I know when to pull you closer, and I know when to let you loose, and I know the night is. I know I, I listened to Air Supply, and you, I don't know if you got to it in your documentary on Yacht Rock yet. No, no. But they, they kind of jokingly, they start listing like songs that have the word love in it. And I think it was, I think it was Russell was the guy that ended up kind of chuckling. like, well, they also have love in it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it was, it was kind of, it was kind of their thing. And, but this was a little bit of a different sound that they're, they're earlier stuff like you play from 1979 um, but over the years I think they evolved well enough with their with the music that was really starting to change at that point and they this was a big this was a very popular song one that I really liked when it came out I did too it's going to let me throw apart here So if you had told me back in like 1982 that we would have given that much time <laughs> to an Air Supply song, I would have said you're insane. But that being said, when this song came out, I did like it. Yeah, it and did. I think the first time I really got exposed to it was back when we briefly had HBO. And if you remember, they, they would kill some time between showing the movies, and they would put some music videos up there. It's funny you say that, because that's exactly what I thought of. And that exposed me to this. You know, basically, there was a, you know, there would, what, they would play like two, three videos sometimes, just, just to fill the gap, so they would they would start a movie right at 8 o'clock, or something like that. Or 8.15, or right. 8.30, and they'd have 10 minutes to kill, or 15 right. minutes to kill. Right, so that was the lead-in, and... I saw that, and you know, the movie's about ready to start, so I'm not going to change it or, or leave. Is like, and I got to the end of the video. I'm like, I really like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So that was "Making Love Out of Nothing at All" by Air Supply. That went to number two on the Billboard 100 chart. I'm surprised you didn't. This next one, number nine. I'm surprised you didn't play this one uh, because it was really, really popular. And this would have been like right around the time that you were coming out. You, you know, your junior, senior year of high school, which for you and me both, I think music was a big mm -hmm. part of the kind of the landscape, the portrait of the end of our high school days, uh, you know, for, for you and I, uh, this was a cover and I still love this song, this version. They're Australian. They're Australian. I didn't know that. That's why I didn't make my list.
So this is Pseudo Echo, mm-hmm. and the song is Funky Town from 1986. Yeah. And these guys really came from out of nowhere, uh, at least in the United States, and they kind of went away again. They were, they're the quintessential one-hit wonder of... And I think this is the playlist I found it off of. It was like 80s one-hit wonders. So I, I, I don't think I ever knew they were from Australia. Well, it's funny because you remember the music video. Yeah, sure. And they're all wearing... They're all wearing New York stuff. Like they're wearing, one guy had a Yankee shirt on, t-shirt on. One guy had a Yonkers New York t-shirt. Yeah. It's like, but they were from Australia. Okay. I, I guess they, from what I read, they they were a band that had been around Australia for about seven, eight years. And this is a, a remake of the Lip Sync song from Funky 1980. Town. So you know, it's not that many years after that song came out. Right. And I remember listening to this at the time, and maybe it's just because it's my going into my junior year that I thought this was so much better than that version. Yeah, and I, I think they I think this is so much better especially the way that they incorpor- he incorporates the guitar yeah. into the song. And in the video, it's very prominent how he's kind of doing the guitar solo. And the guy standing right next to him is rocking the guitar. <laughs> That's true, I, I he mean, got to. He has, uh, watch the video for Pseudo Echo Funky Town. I, I, boy, that... that, that and you know, I've not seen that probably in 35 years. You will not be able to take your eyes off the guitar. Okay. I'll well, just I'll just leave it at that. When okay. we wrap up this podcast, I'm going to watch it. Yeah. So, but that is, um, that was just a great, fun remake that was done in 1986. Oh, good story with that. So I'm walking to the boardwalk, Ocean City, New Jersey. And uh, it's, well, it's the summertime, so, you know, I'm there with, with, with my friend Todd Whitmer. And so Todd, we're walking the boardwalk, and he... Whenever he, they, they would play it all the time, right? And so he would literally stop on the boardwalk, and if he heard it coming out of a shop, he would run into the shop. <laughs> and he's like, oh, hold on, cool song. And he'd go running into the shop, and we'd, I'd have to stand out there and wait till he heard the end of that song, and then he came back into the boardwalk. Uh, it was, that's almost when uh, Steve Kratz, when we went to the beach the one year, and it was um, I Won't Forget You by Poison, <laughs> where you would literally listen to him. He'd rewind it rewind again. It, yeah. And he'd start playing it over again. But he'd be like mid-conversation, oh, hold on, cool song. And he'd, go, and he'd just like take off. Back in a minute. Yeah. All right, so that was Funky Town by Pseudo Echo from 1986, and that went to number six on the U.S. Billboard charts. Next one, uh, again, Sean had already played. He started to play it. And then they end up switching off to mm-hmm. something else. But to me, you know, when I think about music videos and it just seemed like guys were having the most fun making a music video, this really is probably the first one that pops into my head. And again, this is that summer of 87. so many times you think about the music video when you're when you're listening to a song like this and i just recently watched the video again and it's shot in it's like it's in a country setting they're in a barn and it's uh you know the guys in the band and some of the girls that they're friends with and they were just having it just looked like they were having the time of their Mm -hmm. life making that music video i just i remember watching that thinking kind of being like a little jealous like 
hey, why can't I have fun like that, you know, kind of thing. And uh, But the, the video, the imagery of the video just ties so much into the song. And it was, I think, for you and, for you and me both, that summer represented kind of that, just that carefree, mm-hmm. fun attitude that the song represents. Right, right. And, you know, as you know, we talked about with, with other songs, it's amazing that I haven't grown tired of this. I mean, it still gets played quite a bit. Sure. But I think it's, you know, you summed it up nicely that it was such a happy time for us that it just brings back fine memories. And it, for whatever reasons, it's played the right amount where it's not like Joan Jett's I Love Rock and Roll or <laughs> <Poor Joan. laughs> to Tommy Two-Tone. And yeah. It's like, you know, actually, you know, I was I was talking to um, um, uh, somebody who's... Uh, uh, let's see, uh, 22, 23 years old. Okay. Uh, you know, Dalton Lap, if you're listening out there, Dalton Lap. Um, you know, real good. Uh, he's shown me his, his kind of what he's listened to on Spotify, and it's, you know, he's, he, different things. And I'm, I'm like, he's really going back, and because it's all new music to him mm-hmm. that he's, you know, discovering like the 80s music and things like that. And um, I just remember that, uh, you know, it, it's, you know, being able to point out some of these songs, it's, it's kind of interesting that you have like a, a whole new audience that's just kind of discovering them for the first time. And the, it's kind of their memories now. Sure. Yeah. And, and that's all we're really trying to do at this point is we're trying to archive, you know, what we can to jog your memory. If you haven't listened or, or thought about something in a long time that, hey, you know, it's, it's kind of um, just kind of cool to go back and, and reminisce and, and think about, there's, oh, there's specific times well, and I remember house. the point I was going to make because I actually I told him about eight six seven five three oh nine Jenny he had never heard of it before mm-hmm. which you know for our generation like how can you never hear of it but you know he's you know it's new to him and as he played the song I'm like that's a good song and it's a shame because yeah. <laughs> I was like yeah that's a really good song and it's a shame I'm so tired of it yeah I know uh, something so strong from Crowded House off of their Crowded House album from 1987 the other hit for this next group, and we mentioned that um, Ice House and, and Ivan Davies was they were, they were a big deal back uh, down in Australia, and with the help of John Oates, they were able to get some traction here in the United States with their song "Electric Blue." This is the other hit off of the album, and this is the album is "Man Many Man of Colors," and this is Ice House, and this is the song "Crazy." So, you know, as I was looking, listening to the different the different groups, and I was now it's around the same time period too. But you listen to Ice House, and then listen to the Church, mm-hmm. and there's so many similarities between those two bands. But it's different, though. It's 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 different, but you know, I, I could almost hear them just flip flopping lead singers, and probably still kind of sounding the same as bands but to me the church is a little dreamier they are uh and and the band for ice house they have more it's more you know more of an edge a little yeah. more of a raw sound uh, yeah it, you know the church is 
like you said, a little more of like Cure. Sure. Uh, but it's that same time period. We're talking 1987 here, whereas the church come out in 1988. Do you remember this video? I do, yeah. Where yeah. he's a DJ and, and, and yes. you know, the, the girl calls in the request and wants to hear crazy. And I do. I, you know, so many of these songs are, the imagery is tied in with the music video. Right. And it's, it's interesting, like the earlier stuff that I played that predate MTV. You don't really think about necessarily, I think the one song was Anadu, mm-hmm. where, I'm, where I'm imagining uh, the actual video, uh, you know, for the scene from the movie where Olivia Newton-John is singing it. Yeah. Other than that, I'm kind of on my own here. Um, you know, I'm thinking maybe back to the movie. Right. When I saw... Like, the, it, right, the commercial promoting the movie. But it's you're right, because that's the only thing that either of us have played in these two episodes where I do not have a mental image. Yeah, it's, it's just it's interesting to me that MTV did that, how they burned that into <laughs> our brain. I, I mean, it's... I guess it's good. Okay, or, or maybe. It's kind of scary. But yeah. we're, I mean, we, we're like... It, we're the only generation. Yeah. Because so, they don't do it anymore. I know. So we have a whole... Our whole period, our formative years, are like dictated to us by these music videos. Yeah, I like, mean, and you, our brains are going right to them. If you watched it on MTV, especially if you watched it many times, you can't get that image out of here. Yeah, head. like you know, last week you with the brothers band, brother bands, the siblings, you played the Van Halens and finished what you started. Mm-hmm. As soon as you go into that, as I, I'm right there at the video. Yeah. So well, when you're playing pseudo echo, even though I I don't think I've seen that video since. In 1986, yeah, and I'm visualizing the guitar solo, okay, and how he what he was doing with the guitar, yeah. So that was uh, Ice House Crazy for Man of Colors, uh, 1987. Uh, same time period here, we're going into 1987, 1988. Sean had already played one of their songs from the next album, but this was really the album that put them on the U.S. map. And I, again, I mentioned the video that I watched for the first time at Rick's Place Dance Club. Out where the river broke The bloodwood and the desert oak such a distinct voice, sure. Wrecks and boiling diesels Steaming 45 degrees The time has come so oftentimes, Scott has pointed out when I've really been into bands and really been into songs, my brother was really into this. Like really, really into this. I, I like I like this a lot. And yeah. I can I can thank my good pal Monique Stauffer for uh, kind of turning me on to this when when they first kind of broke. I remember her like she was listening to her Walkman. I'm like, what are you listening to? And she's like, um, you won't like this. She's like Midnight Oil. I'm like, who's that? And she's like, here, listen. Put she it had on. it pre-MTV. She had the tape, yeah. Pre-MTV. Well, I mean, if the video had been out, it hadn't been out very long. Wow, that's that's impressive. Yeah. So the first time I ever heard it was um, was on her Walkman, and then okay. the first time I ever saw the video was at Rick's place in Lancaster. Yeah, but I think. At this point, you're talking 1988. Mm-hmm. Many of us 
because there's about about that 86, 85 to 87 period where heavy metal had really kind of taken over MTV. Right. So, as with anything, and we've talked about this many times in different genres of music, but when you're talking like disco, at some point, people are ready to kind of move on to the next No, I went down the rabbit hole. Uh, yeah, <laughs> with the heavy metal music, I, I just kept, I just kept going deeper. But I think, I think around 1987, 1988, that's why you started to see, kind of, you know, some some different, yeah, stuff coming out there. Yeah, and I, and I think for music, I think it was good because it kind of helped you flip the page, and and make that transition into another different, you know, a different type of sound, where you know, like a band like Midnight Oil, who wasn't heavy metal at all. You know, you, you, as I started to pan the sound down there, you could hear the the trumpets. Mm-hmm. in the background which was so cool so many australian bands had you know that broad but like in excess they would put horns in their music which right. i thought was still very cool right right um, nope no i i still like that song it holds up well all right so that was uh, beds are burning by midnight oil the album was uh, diesel and dust from 1987 so sean did play the one song that i was going probably my favorite in excess song of all time which was new sensation but I'm going to play a song uh, off of a different album. Uh, Kick is my favorite In Excess album of all time. This one, though, is pretty close second. And this is the song that really brought them back into the United States mainstream market. And this is the Listen Like Thieves album. And this is What You Need, which is a huge hit in the US. And from what I understand about Michael Hutchins is he was such a quiet guy off stage. Okay. He was such this presence. Um, I think there's so many elements of this song that are just are so quintessential in excess. But where I talked about um, Midnight Oil, where they, you know they had the horns in there, you hear it was very prevalent in this song. And but there's just such a swagger and an attitude oh, yeah. to, to this song, and you can't. You can't help but listen to it, and, and just you kind of feel you're tapping your fingers. Or to me, this 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 was such a good song to bring in excess back in to the U.S. market. You're right. This was a comeback for them, um, and you know we just got done having a whole discussion on videos. This was a, a very different video when it came out. It just the the imagery. It was kind of it was Michael Hutchins there, but it was kind of animated in a way, and it was a lot of action and a lot of color. It was fast moving. It, there was nothing like it ever before. Well, they actually sort of replicated that style of video when they released Kick, and they come out with What You Need, or um, sorry, uh, Need You Tonight. Uh, Need You Tonight was the, the lead song, single off of the Kick album, and it was done in very much in the same element. Now, this, this had... I think it's had strobes in it, and it was, it was kind of all over the place. Yeah. It was, it was definitely an, a, uh, a punch to the senses, so to speak. Right, right. 
but I one of my favorite in excess songs ever is, is this one because they were you know obviously super popular with Shabu Shaba mm-hmm. you know kind of hit on the charts and then then they kind of misfired a little bit they had an album that came out in 1984 that didn't chart very well in the US it did okay I think it went gold but when you're coming off of a Shabu Shaba which I think went two times platinum in the US obviously you do a quarter of that in sales it's a disappointment Right, so to have them come back with an album like "Listen Like Thieves," which brought them right back into prominence again, it did, it did, and I mean, I kind of forgot about them for a little bit, but this this song in particular, and I really like the song "Listen Like Thieves" as yeah. well. I thought that was really good, but I, I, they were right back and, and ready to go, and this this is a song that uh, I, I remember instantly liking. Yeah, and this that was a song that. It, not every song can be a pop song that can be played at like a dance club whereas this song had enough of a groove to it that you could play it at a dance club wasn't wasn't the previous i don't know if the album was called but the single wasn't original sin wasn't was that was what that was before not, that was not the album in 84 i try to remember i can't remember what the name of the album was but did not do all that well in the u.s so that was in excess from 1986 and that was what you need so this next artist um, was wildly popular in the summer of 1988, just as I'm going into my senior year of high school. This was a song that, uh, the, the song that I'm going to play was actually released before The Locomotion by Kylie Minogue. And then because it did, uh, because of the success of Locomotion, they actually re-released it. Very similar to what happened with, you had mentioned about with Rick Springfield, with I've Done Everything For You, how mm-hmm. it was actually the first song to be released off a working class dog. And then Jesse's Girl became so popular that they they brought it out a second time around. Well, that's what they did with this particular song, that it was the first song that was released. And I think it's important, again, to mention, Sean, that when this album was released, how young she was. Yeah, she's my age. Yeah, so at the time, this album was released in 1987, which would have put her at about 19 years old when this this actually was recorded and released. I mentioned that she was an actress on on a soap opera in Australia called Neighbors, very famous. So she was well known, and she wasn't not used to the spotlight uh but i think you ask any you know ask rick springfield you know what his life was like as a soap opera actor versus being you know one of the biggest singers in the world i'm sure that the lights get a lot brighter and bigger sure sure but uh you know Colin, you know boy she 
she was a, a star that shot into the screen. She really was. And like I said about the about the sort of that wholesome girl mm-hmm. next door, uh, you know, that look, very pretty. You know, it's like as a guy, you're sitting there listening to songs like this. You're thinking, should I really be? I mean, this is a little. Uh, uh, should I be manlier than this? Yeah, um, right. But you know, they're 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 kind of infectious, and the locomotion was a song that had been covered so many times before. And I and I failed to mention this in part one, but I kind of jotted some notes down here. So, uh, you know, the original locomotion was done by Little Eva back in 1962. And that went to number one. Then in France, there was an artist that also in 1962 does the same song. Her name was Sylvie Varlin. And that went to number one in France. Okay. Uh, Another famous version that was done, the locomotion, was Grand Funk Railroad in 1974. That went to number one. And then there was a, a disco band called Ritz from New Zealand. They did a disco version of it, and that went to number one in New Zealand in 1980. And then you have Kylie Minogue in 1988. That takes it up to number three. So The Locomotion, it was a song that had been covered many times. So it hasn't been covered in, in many, many years. Well, so like the, the Brothers High could break that one out and <laughs> maybe, take that to number one? Maybe that's something that we should look into. <laughs> I can only imagine who uh, who would want to listen to that song. Well, we'll pull a Millie Vanilli and we'll have other you know younger you go. musicians go out and <laughs> maybe we, we can <laughs> maybe we can find the singers that actually did the Millie Vanilli songs to to do it for us. Yeah. All right. So I have one song left since uh you know the other ones uh were, were pretty well known and well covered, but there was one there was one song and you you mentioned about the possibility of covering them, but they, <laughs> We're going to the late 90s now, actually, 1996. And for me, of the songs that we're playing, to me, this is the song that I still do not... I think this is such a well-crafted song that it really, really holds up now uh, compared to you know the two decades, two-plus decades that it was released you know, back in 1996. What a great, what a great song. Anytime I need to see a face, I just close my eyes And I am taken to a place where your crest don't mind A magenta feeling, take a shelter in the face of my spine Straight like a chicken cherry cola I don't need to try to explain I've never had a chicken cherry cola And if it happens again, I'ma move so silently To the arms and the lips and the face of the human Can of all that I need to, I want to Come stand a little bit closer Breathe in and get a bit higher You'll never know what hit you when I get to And this is Savage Garden, I Want You. This is the first song off of their Savage Garden album in 1996. Not their biggest hit. Truly, right. Madly, Deeply <clears throat> is the song that uh, went to number one. But for me, I think when, I'm, when I've got my DJ gear up and I've got my speakers and my sub, and uh, the bass line on this is so good. And it's... It's just a great song that has that nice constant beat to it. And of course, you know, 
Who doesn't want to sing about a chicken cherry cola? Right. You know, I, obviously, I mentioned them at the end that they were up for consideration. And for some reason, it's just a band that I haven't really listened to a lot since then. But now that we're playing them again, I'm like, yeah, I should get, I should have them this, on my list. I mean, this is this is such a good. You know, sometimes you'll hear either Sean and I talk about just a well-done pop song. And like I said about uh, back, or not, uh, you shook me all night long, being such a great rock song that was crafted into like a radio-friendly format. And for me, this is like kind of the dance, the dance music that was being prevalent in the, the mid to late '90s. This kind of combines the mm-hmm. elements of house music and radio play, right? So I, I think that is it's it's a rarity. And it's a song that still uh, I could play at a party or a wedding reception to this day. So since we're since we're at the end here with Savage Garden, I might as well play what is probably their signature song that for many uh, for many Gen Xers, especially the younger ones. So if I played them, it would have been this song. So just to tell a quick little story about, I was DJing a wedding probably about maybe seven or eight years ago, and the the bride and groom, they were, I would say probably in their mid twenties at that point, which you're putting them right around their birth dates would be 1991 or so, 1992, okay. uh, and I I got all their song requests, and this was not a, one of the song requests. But I was trying to find something to play for a slow, little, you know, I used to probably try and play two or three slow songs at a time over like the course of an hour. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I haven't played this song in such a long time. I was kind of itching to play it. And like, I came across and like, eh, I want to fit it in here somewhere. I, I'm telling you, you know, this song probably came out a lot of the, a lot of people at the reception might have been five or six years old, but they all knew it. Mm-hmm. I okay. mean, this, this really is a song that is that is held up over time. <clears throat> well, one of the things I like about doing our podcast is that in preparation, I usually discover things that I haven't discovered for a while. I mean, it's it's I'm reintroduced to them, and occasionally Scott and I will come into these episodes and we will bring something back to the other person. And this time, you did it for me. It's like. I now remember why that was such a great song, yeah. and and it's now going to go back into rotation for me. You know, if any, if if the if this podcast, and I know we're trying to convey this to listeners, but if I've taken anything away from this podcast, Sean, is that I am getting more and more 
bringing back more and more music from that time period, the late nineties. Yeah, I know. Isn't that, that amazing? That is that I hadn't, that kind of fell off my radar for a while. Right. Cause when we did our siblings and I, I was like, I said, I said, you joined the, the podcast. I'm like, wow. I said, I have a lot of stuff from the nineties yeah. and I would not have predicted that. Yeah. And I, you know, I find myself when I'm, when I'm listening to satellite radio, I'm, I'm finding myself n- not staying solely on the eighties anymore. Right. You know, we have a tendency to, uh, I'll, I'll go to the seventies. I stay a lot on the nineties and, um, but yeah, this is this is our retrospective on on Australian bands from the Gen X era, and I knew we were going to have a lot of the same bands mm-hmm. because they're, you know, unfortunately for artists from Australia, there really haven't been a ton that had a significant presence here in the U.S. market, and I think that's kind of a shame because, like you mentioned, a band like Silverchair, yeah, you know, why didn't Silverchair become huge in the United States or at least have one or two hit songs, right? Right. So it's it's um, you know hopefully for our listeners who you you folks you you folks have been so loyal to us down there you you started listening to us almost from day one when we started doing this Gen X podcast and hopefully uh, you know hopefully you you and and everybody else listening can can kind of have an appreciation again if you haven't heard some of these bands in a while maybe you can go back and revisit them again like I'm going to do with Savage Garden yeah so. Uh, that is our episode on our favorite Australian songs in the U.S. market, and uh, I had a lot of fun doing it. I yeah, so did I. We we had a nice uh, nice little recollection of of songs that we some of them we hadn't heard in a long time. So I agreed, and and you know to kind of repeat what I said earlier, that's one of the nice things about doing this podcast is you you get reintroduced to things, and maybe there are things that. You kind of heard a little bit. Maybe you, you know, it was on the radio briefly. You know, it's like okay, I never owned it, and but now it's, it comes back to you again, and it's like yeah, yeah, I really like that. All right, so episode thirty-five is now officially in the books. So for episode thirty-six, I'll turn things over to my big brother and Sean. What have you? Do uh, have you decided on what you want to do? Yeah, as you know, I was kind of going back and forth. In fact, I was even like quizzing Scott before we went on air is like yeah you know what direction do we want to go with uh you know we're, we're doing a lot of music um and i was thinking of breaking up however i would kind of doing research for this particular episode you noticed that i had at least two artists on there that were country co- crossover artists mm-hmm. and i thought there uh, there's a lot of that in the gen x era so i'd like to do uh, an episode kind of similar to what you did how you structured yours where we maybe each kind of go through the decades and through the Gen X era and kind of pick some artists that were crossover artists. Absolutely. And and we're not going to come up with a short list there. That's that's going right. to be a lot. Right. So, you know, we'll, we'll kind of, you know, like, you know, narrow it down a little bit. But, you know, Barbara Mandrell had a song like way back when called I Was Country and Country Wasn't Cool. I remember that. And I was thinking, yeah, but during the era that we grew up, country was cool. Country was absolutely cool. So maybe we'd title this episode, We Were Country and Country Was Cool. Sure. Yeah, that... Uh, oh, I, I knew we were going to do a country one at some point. Yeah. So we might as, yeah, we might as well do it. And I'm sure, you know, you touched on it with Olivia Newton-John and Keith Urban. You know, that's, there's, there's so much good country music in the entire three decade period mm-hmm. that we that we covered and it's done by people who had success on both charts and simultaneously at the same time right right so uh i know we're still doing music but i i think it's something that i, I don't know i felt kind of 
passionate about and let's go ahead and do it while while we're kind of like doing the research well if you feel the if you feel the passion for it let's go ahead sure. and go for it so all right so that's going to be country crossovers of the gen x era on our next episode of gen x playback so thanks to all of you that are tuning in week in and week out and making it fun for us we enjoy doing these episodes for you 25 countries across the world 48 states in the United States we still got two states we need to which is amazing because I was in Maine and I think I listened when I was in Maine so I'm not sure why Maine didn't show up alright well maybe Maine will show up next yeah. week so we want to thank everybody for tuning in to Gen X Playback we are the Brothers High I am Scott and I'm Sean we'll talk to you then see ya